Well, good evening. Welcome to Lakewood Bible Chapel. Um, please open your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 and stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be starting in verse 17. Therefore, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their mind, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you heard him and were taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, to lay aside in reference to your former conduct the old man, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new man, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Let's turn our attention to the first part of our text this evening, which starts with the word, therefore. We should always pay attention to the therefores and wherefores because they help us understand the author's train of thought. Therefore, the first question we should ask when looking at our text this evening is, Paul, why do you say that we should no longer walk as the Gentiles also walk? Well, because of the therefore, we know that the answer to this question can be found in the verses that we studied last Sunday evening, uh, the verses that immediately precede this evening's text. And so let's take a quick look at verse 15 from last week, which reads, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ. Paul is telling us that because we are believers, we are followers of Christ, we as the church are to grow up into Christ, to essentially be a people who are spiritually mature and conformed to the image of Christ that is because of this that it is because of this great truth that the way we live now should reflect that reality and so in our passage this evening Paul begins to explain what it looks like to grow up to become mature unto Christ he he says don't walk as the gentiles walk but he says more than that, doesn't he? He says, walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. The implication being that there was a time when we once walked as the Gentiles walked. And we already know this because Paul has made this clear multiple times in Ephesians. For example, consider the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly walked. According to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. 
Notice the word formerly that is repeated in these verses, indicating that these things are no longer true for the Gentile believer. Consider also these words a few verses later in Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time without Christ, alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul is saying, that was then. That was before you knew Christ. That was your old self, as we'll see in a few minutes. But now, things are different. Now, you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now you have been regenerated. Now you are to grow up in all aspects into Christ. So since that is the case, don't keep doing what you used to do before Christ. Interestingly, in this evening's verses, we see Paul set up a distinction. There are two kinds of Gentiles, those that embrace Christ as their Lord and Savior and those that reject Christ as their Lord and Savior. And really, this distinction exists not just within the Gentiles, but it is true for everyone. There are only two kinds of people. You either embrace Christ or you reject Christ. And what is important to realize is that if you, the person who has embraced, has accepted, has believed in Christ's work on the cross to bear the guilt of your sin and save you from the wrath of God, to worship Him and enjoy Him forever. If you are that person, then Paul is talking to you in this text this evening. But if you have not embraced Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, but instead have rejected Christ's saving work on the cross for you, Paul isn't talking to you in this text this evening. And if this latter description fits the bill for you, If you do not believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to consider Christ. Consider that if you become one of His, then when He was giving His life on that agonizing cross, He was giving it for you. Consider that when He was rejected by the Father, when He was rejected in your place for your sin, consider that He did this for you. And so how do you know that you are His? Well, you, by faith, embrace Him as your Lord and as your Savior. You believe in Christ and His sacrifice on the cross for your sin, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Do not leave this evening without considering Christ in this manner. Now, Paul goes on in verses 17 and 18 to describe this former manner in which we once lived. He described it in the following three statements. First, he describes our former Gentile walk as walking in the futility of their mind. Second, he describes our former Gentile walk as being darkened in their mind. And third, he describes our former Gentile walk as alienated from the life of God. Speaking of what Paul is teaching here, one preacher makes the following observation. Hardness of heart leads first to darkness of mind, then to deadness of soul under the judgment of God, and finally to recklessness of life. Having lost all sensitivity, people lose all self-control. 
Now, there is an amazing parallel text to our passage this evening that can be found in Romans chapter 1, where Paul establishes the guilt of the pagan world, the guilt of the Gentile world before the Creator God for their utter rejection of Him and His glory. As we are considering Paul's explanation of the walk of the unregenerate Gentile, let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 1 where we will gain further understanding on this particular subject. Uh, For example, in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, we read the following, For even though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And so we see that the result of them becoming futile in their minds and darkened in their foolish hearts is that they took the most valuable, the most precious, the most desirable thing in all of the universe, namely the glory of the incorruptible God, and discard it like garbage, in exchange for idols. This is what it looks like to live in the futility of our minds and the darkening of our foolish hearts. The futility and darkness of seeing the glory of God. And instead of selling all that you possess to obtain it, you look at an image made by human hands, an image that is merely the likeness of something, And you actually think and truly feel that this image of an image of something is what you really want instead of the actual and true tangible treasure that is the glory of God. These words describe who we used to be when we once walked as the Gentiles walk, when we walked in the futility of our minds and the darkness of our hearts. And so it is easy to see that if you reject God, you will in futility and darkness of mind exchange that which is most desirable, most good, most glorious, and thus be alienated from the life of God. This indeed is the fruit of ignorance and hardness of heart. And so we see that Romans, in how it parallels our text this evening, gives us great insight into what Paul is saying about the walk of the unregenerate Gentile. Now, let's turn back to Ephesians 4 and look at verse 19. Verse 19 says, And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Isn't it true that when you are exposed to sin, especially when you are exposed to it over and over, that you become desensitized to it? And as you become desensitized to it, you become more and more comfortable with it. We are all created with a conscience, but the unregenerate Gentile in the continual practice of sin grows callous not only in their conscience, but in the whole of their lives. 
But we as believers ought not to be callous. We ought not to be given over to anything, especially sensuality. We ought not to practice every kind of impurity with greediness if we are growing up in all aspects into Him who is the head, that is Christ. Stated in the simplest terms, Paul is saying, now that you're saved, stop doing what you used to be doing before you were saved. And the implication is that you should do this because you're no longer walking in the futility of your mind. You're no longer being darkened in your mind, and you're no longer alienated from the life of God because you are no longer ignorant and because your former heart of stone has been replaced with a heart of flesh. All right, let's turn our attention now to verses 20 and 21, where Paul, having finished his exhortation to not walk as the Gentiles walk, gives us the reason why. Verses 20 and 21 read as follows, But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you heard Him and were taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus. And so here we see Paul now telling the believers in Ephesus that the reason they are not to walk as the Gentiles is that they did not learn Christ in this way. The reason that these believers should not walk as the Gentiles do is because of the gospel. Because these believers, in embracing Christ as their Lord and Savior, heard Him and were taught in Him, the one in which all truth and all reality resides. Because when they learned Christ, they were broken free from the futility and darkness of their minds. And they were taken from alienation to reconciliation with God. That's what happens when you learn Christ. And so why would one return to the old ways in which they once walked when they've been broken free from them in Christ? Further, this learning of Christ is a kind of learning that calls every believer to live a life of holiness. And this is in direct contrast to the way that the Gentiles walk, as we just saw Paul say in verse 19. Uh, it says, And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. If you have become a true believer, a true follower of Christ, then your life will no longer be characterized by callous living, by sensuality, or by the practicing of every kind of impurity with greediness. On the contrary, instead of being callous, the believer in their call to holy living will begin to live with sensitivity and have a tempered manner. Instead of being given over to sensuality, the believer in their call to holy living will begin and continue to live modestly. Instead of practicing every kind of impurity with greediness, the believer in their call to holy living will live in non-indulgent purity. Notice also the subject matter of our learning. The subject matter is Christ. But notice too that Christ is not only the subject, He's the teacher. That when those who were teaching the believers in Ephesus, when the gospel was being preached, it was Christ Himself speaking through the words of His faithful servants, and those words were about Christ about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. 
So now with that in mind, let's turn our attention to verse 22, which says, To lay aside in reference to your former conduct the old man which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And here's the point. We must do this. Martin Lloyd-Jones made an interesting point about this, namely that it is not something that we should primarily pray about, but rather something that we should simply do. Martin Lloyd-Jones was making the point that it is not enough to simply go to God in prayer about laying aside the old man and then do nothing about it. Yes, pray, but don't stop there. Once you've prayed, do it. Lay aside the old man. Don't just pray and wait. Don't just pray and think that you've done your part and now God has to do His. No, on the contrary, pray in the knowledge that God has already done it on the cross and then lay aside the old man. When He regenerated you, when He saved you and declared you justified before the Father, you were broken from the chains of sin and given the ability to say no to sin. Paul speaks about this in Romans 6 when he says the following in verses 11 to 14. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts, and do not go on presenting your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. If you are in Christ, then you must consider yourself in a certain way. You must think of yourself in a certain way, and that is dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. And since we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ, we should no longer let sin reign. We should no longer obey its lusts and, to, and no longer present our members to sin to be used for unrighteousness, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. We see this again in Romans 8 when Paul says the following in verses 12 and 13, which say, So then, brothers, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the practices of the body, you will live. We must be putting to death the practices of the body. And this is the reality. It's actually something that we must be doing. But if you are doing this, if you are putting to death or to use an older term, mortifying the deeds or practices of the flesh, it is only by the Spirit that you do this. And so if our hearts are not in the right place before the Lord, it is very possible that we could actually use prayer as an excuse in delaying the mortification of sin in our lives. We might use prayer as an excuse for procrastinating on something that we know we must put away or remove from our lives. Brothers and sisters, kill sin. Put it to death. Don't let it linger another moment in your life. For as John Owen says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. 
Now, let's turn our attention to the final two verses in our text this evening, verses 23 and 24, which say, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new man, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. There's something really interesting that I just want to mention here, something that we've seen from the beginning of our passage this evening, and something that continues here. Have you noticed Paul's focus on the mind in all of these things? Often the heart is emphasized when we are considering the things of our Christian faith, but in this evening's passage, the mind has been emphasized. First, Paul taught us about the state of the degenerate Gentile mind. In verse 17, Paul spoke of the futility of the Gentile mind, and without skipping a beat, he spoke of the darkness of the Gentile mind. In verse 20, we see Paul speak of learning Christ hearing him and being taught by him. In each of these, the mind is implied. And now in verse 23, we see Paul again mention the mind, specifically that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. We can't miss this, specifically that the mind is a crucial part of our faith. We as believers must engage our minds. And there is a reason that God, in His perfect wisdom, decided to make His words known in 66 books, requiring the ability to read and for the reader to have good comprehension. These are things that require a sharp and disciplined mind. In fact, the original purpose of universities was so that His Word, the Bible, could be studied. And that still should be at the heart of all forms of learning even today, that we would come to a deeper understanding of God in all of His glory. All of this to say that it is wrong to think that it is okay to just float along in our faith and not make any effort to listen, to read, to study, to memorize and meditate on the Word of God. We should engage and use our minds in our walk with the Lord to understand His Word as much as we can, and in that to come to know Him more and more. God forbid that we would be lazy in our thinking and neglect to make every effort to understand all that God has given us in His Word. And so Paul says that we should be renewed in the spirit of our minds, and this word renewed is important. The implication being that our thinking has fallen away from what it once was. Paul is hinting at the fact that sin has done its work to corrupt our minds. And he is saying that in this area we must be renewed. Or that we must return to that which God intended for us with regard to our minds. And so where was that exactly? What exactly have we fallen away from with regard to our minds? What is it that we must be renewed back to? with regard to our minds. Well, notice that Paul doesn't say that we must renew our minds. Rather, he says we must renew the spirit of our minds. This is an interesting way of phrasing this. And in wording it this way, Paul is telling us that the instrument itself is not necessarily the primary issue. We all know that the instrument itself Self, the mind is capable of thinking, of solving problems, of analyzing situations, and of doing so at a very high standard. This is why there are unregenerate people who are geniuses. They are geniuses when it comes to such things as mathematics, building bridges, 
learning languages, playing music, studying poetry and literature, and a myriad of, a, a, a myriad of other amazing things. They, in the common grace given by God, have brilliant minds, but what is lacking is the renewed spirit of the mind. They might be geniuses in these earthly matters, but they are not renewed in the spirit of their mind, and so in the matter of spiritual things, they are fools. We often find that even in earthly subjects such as biology, astronomy, and geology, among many others, that they are fools, because it is foolish to reject God... The God who spoke the universe into existence, the God who spoke creation into existence from nothing, it is foolish, particularly when you are trying to understand that universe and that world which God created. Those that reject God might perceive themselves as smart, as wise, as intellectual, as great thinkers, but in actuality, in the things that really matter, they are fools. As Paul says in Romans 1, professing to be wise, they became fools. But in this evening's text, Paul is not speaking of the mind itself, but that which controls the mind. Prior to being regenerated, it is our flesh that rules our lives. But after regeneration, the flesh is put into subjection to the Spirit, And so prior to regeneration, our minds were ruled by the flesh. But after regeneration, our minds were no longer subject to the flesh, but to the Spirit. And so now, as we turn our attention to verse 24, we see Paul's final exhortation in this evening's text, and that is, put on the new man. And then Paul tells us a little bit about this new man when he says, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. This new man is in the likeness of God, righteous, holy, and true. And this is in contrast to the old man that we once used to be, before the Spirit opened our eyes to the glory of the Father in the face of Christ. This new man in being described as created in righteousness and holiness of the truth, is in stark contrast to the old man who Paul describes as being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Notice that Paul's instruction is to put on this new man, much like his instruction is to lay aside the old man. In essence, Paul is saying that if you are really and truly a believer, if you have really and truly embraced Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, then you are not the same person you used to be. God has changed you. And if this is the case, why would you continue to do the things you used to do? So the implication is not that this old man and new man are merely external things. You don't put on the new man like you put on a coat where nothing is different inside. On the contrary, you put on the new man because everything is different inside. Because your spirit has been made alive in Christ. Because your mind is no longer governed by the flesh, but by the spirit. Because you have been regenerated. You have been changed. You have become a child of the living God. And thus you are to act in accordance with whom 
you have become in Christ. And so what does this actually look like, the putting on of the new man? Well, Paul gets into that in the verses that follow, which we'll be looking at next Sunday evening. Amen? Amen. Now I invite Paul to come back up and close us with a final song after I pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this text, which, Lord, it shows us the life that we are called to live as Christians in light of who you are, Lord. You say, be perfect because I am perfect. And yet, Lord, we wrestle with the flesh, we struggle, but this is what we are called to, Lord. And so we pray that you would help us, Father, as we live our lives Lord, as we live our lives on the foundation of the salvation that you have worked through Christ and his death on the cross, his resurrection, proving, Lord, that he has paid for our sins. As we live in light of that, in light of the gospel, Lord, that we would lay aside the old man, that we would no longer walk as the Gentiles walk, and instead, Father, that we would put on the new man, that our minds, the spirit of our minds, Lord, would be renewed, and we would live and glorify you in our lives, Lord. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.